old irons. Now you might be wondering what that is. Any Old Irons is a group of West Ham fans of a certain age who meet once a month to talk about anything West Ham. We have grown from an initiative funded by West Ham United Foundation and Friends of the Elderly. I am, of course, a West Ham fan and have been so since, well, I guess forever, as I can't remember not being one. In this podcast series, you will be hearing from ex and current players and die-hard fans. But if that is not enough, we'll be sharing our memories and our experiences of growing older. Some of us are lonely, some of us are widowed, and some of us are having to deal with a variety of health issues, and some of us are very happily retired. We want to highlight why it is so important to keep on learning new skills while sharing experiences that improve our well-being and sense of worth. At the same time, we aim to put a smile on your face. Today we are at the Denmark Arms in East Ham where we will be sharing tea and biscuits with Sir Trevor Brooking in order to discuss his life in and out of football and the ageing process. And I've got a question to start us off. Those of you who know me know that I really love my women's football and how successful we have been as West Ham in the last year actually getting to the FA Cup. And I know that you were at the final (laughs) and I'd like to know whether it brought back memories of 1980s for you and how you see the women's game developing yeah I mean it's uh it's been an exciting time for for the ladies game really I I got quite involved with the uh, when I was at the FA because obviously I was there about 11 years the ladies game was um struggling a little bit they wanted to get going and I, my initial role at the FA was on grassroots and um, you know I trying to get a better quality of football um, and really the ladies game was a big factor I don't know if you remember Hope Power was the uh, one of the first uh, sort of coach for the ladies team and um, you know they, they got a certain amount of money but not a lot um, and gradually we managed to work on that and there was a big challenge in the grassroots to get yeah, girls football played. Um, you know, there was a lot of people reluctant for some unknown reason. They thought it was, uh, it's a men's game, not girls and whatever. And then gradually it's, it was the young girls actually won it over because they loved it so much and started enjoying it. And, um, and of course, then during that spell uh, of about 11 years, gradually uh, we improved. There was a big debate. Hope, hope left after a while and... Uh, uh, Mark Chapman came in and then, as such, Phil's recently taken over. But more than anything, the quality of football has changed. Uh, you know, we're passing the ball uh, a lot better as you know the men and the boys have as well. So generally speaking, um, I think girls' football, women's football is that third or fourth in the country now, believe it or not, uh, of all sports. So it is mushrooming massively. But more than anything, uh, you know, the West Ham, I think, have done well to to tap into the interest in the ladies game and, and of course got into the top flight last year so to get to the final within a year of that was fantastic they got a good route through some would say because they are in the semi-final um, they avoided the two big uh, sides uh, and then at the final to be fair for 55 minutes they played really well and did well and had a couple of chances and then just the, the first goal and the, just I think the fitness level was a factor, you know, when you're a big club like City, you commit a, a, a lot to it, and um, I just the first one just did a bit in the air, and the goalkeeper then 
let it slip through and, and to a certain extent then you could see they got a bit deflated and uh, in the end was it 3-0 I think but it was a great event for them um, when you consider because we all had a decision to make didn't we really about the game the, first, the men's game which uh, they tried to get kicked uh, kicked off earlier um, but for a three o'clock kickoff, you were never and I think quite a few left at half time I believe to try and get, yeah, to get there <laughs> I, I had a few bit but I thought right I'd go there for the the whole event and um, you know it was it was really good and pleased it did and um, you know it, it, it'll be tougher this coming season because of course you've you got Man United uh, who, who have gone up um, you know and Spurs I think as well yeah. have gone up so those, those two sides will invest quite a lot into the two teams that are going up but more than anything they've had a season there and uh, I think you know there's no question that the ladies game and uh, women's football will go from strength to strength Thank you. Um, now, we've got quite a nice audience here, and some of them have asked questions. Um, and deep breath, Les, you're first up, and uh, would you like to ask your question? Hi, Les. All right. What are some of your highlights on and off the pitch? Highlights on and off the pitch? Um, well, I suppose on the pitch, you know, it has to be initially, I suppose joining the club I supported really yes. <laughs> a big challenge when you're at school um, back in those days it was uh, 1964 when all the scouts from different clubs came round and um, as such yeah the, the money was I think Johnny Haynes if you remember came the first £100 <laughs> footballer but they, they had a sort of maximum wage which they, they just about scrapped around about the time I, I was joining West Ham but the money that uh, now wasn't in the game as such uh, in those days. So I was at a grammar school, and mum and dad uh, didn't <laughs> didn't want me to give up my education as such. And in those days, being the age we all are, we know we, we, you could have left school at sort of 15 in the end of the fourth year without doing your your exams. So I did a deal that um, I would stay on the extra year. Uh, and so 65 summer of 65, I did my GCEs. And then would join a club for two years rather than the three-year apprentice that most uh, of the youngsters were doing. And um, it was funny because uh, at that stage, year, year before I joined club, uh, I had to make a decision about sort of April May time who it was going to be. And um, at that stage, West Ham had knocked on the door, so the, <laughs> there was about 14 clubs, none of them the side I supported. So I'd narrowed it down scaringly to. Um, Chelsea and Spurs, Ooh. and yeah, man. <laughs> and believe it or not, Spurs was a bit closer. But Bill Nick and uh, you know Eddie Bailey and all that, great. They had a great team in those days. But um, I just thought they tended to go into the transfer market a little bit more than um, Chelsea. And Chelsea had a really good um, you know, youth system. And, and if you look at the side, you know, your Hudson and your Osgoods, your Tamblins, uh, the two Harrises, uh, you know, they, they, they were Charlie Cook. They produced some great players. So it, was, it would have been an exciting time. And the, the manager at the time was a very funny character, Tommy Doherty. Uh, so if, uh, I mentioned his name, you'll know he was quite uh, amusing to meet and whatever. So all those things lent towards Chelsea. And then suddenly I was playing for Ilford Boys, uh, not far away from East Ham, and um, we got to. Well, the English Schools Trophy, which was the FA Cup of the under-15 sort of district football across the country. And we managed to get to the semi-final of that, Ilford boys, so it was quite exciting. And we played at Ilford's ground. 
against Oxford in the semis. And um, on that evening, Wally St. Pierre, who was chief scout at West Ham, had brought a lot of people to, um, you know, like Bobby, Jeff, and Martin, the three World Cup lads, to West Ham. I persuaded Ron Greenwood to come along, who was the manager at the time, to watch this semi final because we had a centre forward, Barry Simmons, who was playing for Ilford, and then an Oxford centre half young lad who was coming from the Oxford team, so one from either team. So he thought it'd be good for Ron to see the team, the match. So we, we had a match. We, we actually lost 3 2. We should have won. I mean, a couple of errors at the back. Anyway, we lost 3 2, which was a shame, but as luck would have it, um, Ron said to <laughs> Ron told me later and weeks later, he said, I went back in the car and Molly said, What do you think? And what about the Ilford number four? And uh, so the Ilford number four was Muggins. And um, so Wally said, What do you mean? Br- yeah, Brookin. He said, um, Why haven't we seen him? And so it was Ron actually who spotted <laughs> me. And uh, I think you should go and knock at his door tomorrow, Wally. Okay, fine. So Wally turned up at home and uh, knocked on the door. And um, and then <laughs> Wally's opening line is very funny because mum was quite blunt, Eastender. Uh, my dad was a policeman. And um, so they, I was at school at the time and uh, Wally gave this elaborate discussion about, yeah, uh, we've come round, obviously he got knocked out last night. We watched the game, really uh, shame should have got through. But, um, you know, we, we haven't come round beforehand because obviously we didn't want to disturb you while you, you were still in the competition. And um, so he gave this 10-minute build up of why they had knocked on the door and at the end of which um, my dad told me mum said well I can't really believe that Mr St Pierre because it didn't stop 14 other clubs coming around so (laughs) 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 Wally's defence was blown out of water by my mum Um, but she said anyway uh, we're West Ham fans so we're pleased you have come even if it's a bit late Um, (laughs) so that got us off to a good start but anyway um, yeah once they came we we agreed uh, that we'd join them a year later, and uh, and so that was obviously you always remember how you ended up getting at the club. Obviously, it was a big time that um, you know the, to join a club like '64 that we won the FA Cup, '65 um, won the Cup Winners' Cup. That summer that I joined them, and of course '66 we all will tell everyone we won the World Cup. And uh, <laughs> as we had three. At the start of the 11th, yeah, Bobby, Jeff and Marty. So, again, that was an exciting memory to end up playing as a youngster. Um, and, uh, you know, I made my debut, funnily enough, in 67 up at Burnley, who were a good team in those days, um, you know, always near the top and whatever. So, Ron always liked people to generally play away from home, just take the pressure off a little bit as a debut. And um, so we did well. We drew 3-3. And the, th- the amazing thing on, on that night it was an e- nighttime game was that um, our three goal scorers were Jeff Hurst uh, Martin Peters and believe it or not Bobby Moore so that was pretty special oh, was A from a debut but it was pretty special that the three World Cup lads decided to score in that game um, so that was a good time and then uh, you know settled into it obviously yeah, with 75 and 80 Cup finals have to be uh, big memories um, the 80 especially because I, I, I scored a winning goal and um some would say it was the only header of your career as well. <laughs> and uh, they, they still think I'm a bit concussed as a result of that because I wasn't used it. But, um, but more than anything, it, um, it was a fantastic memory. Um, the 76, the, um, the semi-final, the Cup Winners' Cup at Eintracht Frankfurt at, at uh, 
up to park everyone all the fans remember that as they would arguably say it was my best game because I scored a couple of goals we we beat them 3-1 in the second leg having lost 2-1 out there so that was exciting um, and really you know obviously I remember little individual games of, of your own but it's, it's more um, you know the luck really of ended up playing for well 17 years I was 19 years at the club um, at a club you know you supported and ended up staying there all the time and, and now we're in a we're in a football sort of career where you, you, you're very unlikely to stay at one club like that they, you know, because um, unless you're at one of the big four or five six you know because they'd sell you on and West Ham to be fair when I went down I was quite happy Ron Greenwood had become the England manager and he said he'd pick me for the England team if you, you know even if I stayed in you know West Ham was second division whereas now I think West Ham and the club would, would flog me to get the money and you know I probably would leave as well because Gareth Southgate like he said to one or two you've got to move a club if you're not you know, playing regularly or you're going down so um, it was just lucky at the time I had ended up three years down the second division but um, Ron was manager at that time so it didn't affect being picked for England so uh, you know that was a big plus as well yeah Thank you very much. Now we're going to go on now to a question that starts to relate to getting a little bit older. Uh, John, please. <laughs> Good afternoon, Trevor. Yeah, hi, John. Um, you retired in 1984, playing for the Hammers yeah. at the age of 35, yeah. with a, an illustrious career. Um, at that stage, at 35 years of age, did you possibly have in place some kind of a plan as to what the future direction of your career uh, would be for the rest of your life? No, I mean, it was weird. I, I 82 World Cup, I was playing for England, and I, I got a groin injury, and um, Kevin Keegan and myself both had injuries and unfortunately missed some of the games, and I think we'd have got to the final that year. I think Italy were good in the final, um, but um, we had some really tight games. So, so for Kevin and I, who had been regulars during that spell to miss most of the tournament was, was frustrating but when I came back I tried to play with West Ham for two or three weeks and it was still playing up so I had a he said you have a pelvis and um, it when you twist and turn it my the gristle it holds the pelvic bone together had sort of worn away and um, so the fella did brilliant for me as such but he said it would be six months and what, so what you did you go, you go in and uh, he peeled some bits of bone off the hip Lovely. Yeah, and, and put a bone graft in. So where it moved, instead of the gristle, I had a bone graft. But I couldn't get out of bed for a month. So I stayed in the hospital for a month um, while they made, made sure that the, the bone really knitted. Then gradually got up, started walking, and then the swimming pool was massive because you know, it takes your body weight and that just to do gradually do your exercise. So six months after the up, I was starting to play again and whatever, and then um, that end of that season, sort of, you know, it was 82-83, I went out finally enough to Hong Kong in the summer for six weeks, played out there, and then came back, played the following season, and Touchwood had a, had a really good seat. I was playing very well at the end of it. So there was a certain temptation at the time to think, do I go on uh, for another year? But my contract finished. We had one or two younger players coming through, Tony Cotty, Alan Diggins and whatever. Um, and so I was two months off my 36th birthday, so it was you know, nearly into 36. 
Um, I still felt fit and I, I, I played well. And luckily, we thought about it. Um, you know, pace wasn't my strength anyway, so <laughs> nobody would have noticed at 36, 37 whether it had deteriorated or not. <laughs> I say that to the players because they always try and wind me up about it. And um, so, really, uh, I thought, no, probably this is the, the right time. Um, it's very, very West Ham. We never had a debate about whether you. Would you think of doing another year? So I think they were quite happy that was that was the time. And then bizarrely, um, <laughs> this is because what I told you before about Chelsea coming. Um, I got a call from the Chelsea manager, and uh, they'd just got promotion um, with Kerry Dixon, Davy Speedy, Pat Nevin, and Paul Cannonville as the attacking four, and they had a little lad John Bumpstead who was a sort of more of an aggressive midfielder, and he's. I'm trying to think of the, the, the manager. Anyway, he said, would you give us a year just coming up as a promotion team? We think you'd be great. And the, the front four, who I'd seen uh, before anyway on a few occasions, was really good. And he said, I think you provided and would have been very exciting. So <laughs> I gave it a brief think. And then, uh, as my wife and I said, after you know 19 years at the club, West Ham, and to go back to Chelsea would not have been... Particularly acceptable. So, no, no, quite. <laughs> and by then, luckily, I'd done one or two bits of, you know, co-commentary work. It was just, you know, where you, you in, in the past, you'd have a John Watson all the time, just a one commentator. They were starting to introduce the, the co-commentaries. And so, radio initially and then TVs. So that was opening up and I thought, yeah, okay, let's, let's stay with that. Um, about managing coaching, I mean, everyone talks about that, and obviously I had my little spell in 2003 at the coaches. But I'd, I promised my wife I wouldn't go into it. She was really keen not... She said, you know, you got this great rapport with the fans. And if you look at the managers, they all have a go, but there's always one year where you get a couple of injuries and it doesn't work out, and then you have to move on. And then you lose that close link and then some people you know, think you're not quite the manager oh he's not as good as he was as a player and, and so it's just one of those things I said to her I'd never sort of uh, take a chance and I promised I wouldn't go into it and as luck would have it I did the broadcasting for quite a while and then I did sports council uh, ended up doing that and so that was you know 86 was sports council work and I went on I eventually became chairman of that and left in about um, 202, two, and and then, you know, the broadcasting side was a similar time, 202, 203. So I, had, I was very lucky that I had yeah, about 18, 19 years. So that kept a close affinity with sport and uh, and football. And then luckily the you know, the job at the FA came along at a time, um, the right time, really, just after I'd been doing the um, the managerial role, and suddenly because. Unfortunately, uh, you, you know, we couldn't get our man, Mr. Pardew, straight away. He had to go on six weeks gardening leave. And so that meant I did another 11 games. And, um, and it had gone okay, so quite a few people, players, wanted me to stay and whatever. So it got a bit awkward, but, but Pards came in and then took over. And so when the FA came two months later, halfway in his first season, I thought it was just a good time to move on because... Um, with me hovering in the background, if he had a bad little patch, you know, you'd always get one or two. Oh, go on, Trevor, come back. Yeah, so I, um, I thought that was a good time to go to the FA, and then it ended up 
get in there really for 11, 12 years. So I was very lucky because you finish a game that's been your whole life and suddenly uh, broadcasting gave us that for another, you know, 18, 19 years. The sports counter was really good for widening it to other sports. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you end up then 12 years, 11, 12 years at the FA trying to make a difference to the national team, which Touchwood, I think we have, with some lot of really good people at the FA who were battling against the Premier League and the Football League who were our bosses because they, they, they were half the FA board. And um, we got St George's Park, which got over the line in 2012, but it got rejected three times. I mean, you would never get another national FA, particularly a big one like England, where they'd get rejected to build your national football centre. But obviously the Premier League and Football League were not keen on us to do anything that was going to be great. So to get it over the line for the third time was good. And, and that being built where it is and, and now having everything based there and has, has made the massive difference to a certain extent. So um, it's those, you know, exciting challenges really, which, um, you know, I've been very lucky. But I've had a, a lifetime of sport stroke football and, um, you know, to get paid to be involved in it was exceptionally lucky. Although Touchwood, you know, you'd like to feel that you, you know, you deserved because something did happen in those areas that you were working. So, yeah, been, it's been an exciting time. But now, my well, last four, four and a half years now, I'm in that re retired fraternity now. So, uh, and I've enjoyed it. But to be fair to my wife, she needed to see a little bit more of me, although if she was here now, she'd probably say, I don't know what you mean. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you gave up football and you hung your boots up, was that it? Or did you play any more? Oh, yeah, no, I played. I played, um, I had a, uh, a couple of photos. Michael Hart used to write for the uh, Evening Standard and Ken Dyer, who still does our programme at West Ham now, worked uh, as of local rags and also then ended up working with uh, uh, Mike and then he, he played for a Sunday side and he said do you fancy playing for a Sunday side and so I I did um, so when I packed up in 80 uh, or 84 I went out to New Zealand for one summer but then following winter uh, I played Sunday morning football one or two of the lads played a bit I mean um, Bonzo had a couple of games who else did we Frank, uh, Frank, I don't think Frank did play no yeah, but um, we had a couple of the uh, that that team at the time dabbled with it um, and I played quite a few for the first season or two and then at that stage then um, the broadcasting lot had come along and, and then you went through that spell didn't we where you, you, you ended up with yeah, Saturday games, but then Sundays and and even a Monday night. And so Sunday they often had three games, whether it was a radio and the TV. And so I quite often then was was working as a co-commentator, and and that was when it became difficult because anyone who play, when you got older and that and you play, and I'm not training during the week or whatever, you had to play every week. But I'd, I started then missing this, and then missing two, and then you started pulling muscles and that because you hadn't trained properly and also we we got promotion a couple of times and um so we got in the top the top league and blimey there was some um, some heavy squad players there they, 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 yeah. some of the non-league boys and um they were playing regular sunday uh, saturday football and 
there. <laughs> so whenever they chop me down, oh, can't we touch him, ref? And all that. So, uh, so I thought for my own safety, um, <laughs> it was better to use the broadcasting thing as a situation. But uh, yeah, I, I had three or four years when I did play um, Sunday football, which was quite good. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine the reaction when you and Bonzo walked onto the pitch from the opposition. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's funny. I, and you, you enjoyed it. I mean, you, know, you only play because you enjoy anything, really. And, and football, obviously, I was lucky as a professional to play 19 years. But um, I could describe three or four of my Sunday morning goals to you <laughs> as if it happened yesterday. They were great. I mean, <laughs> one, one, one in particular, I always remember, which is at Brentwood School, which is just up the road from me, and so we were playing on a Sunday morning there, and it was a windy day, and um, we had the wind in the first half, and so the keeper kicked it, and, you know, they can't kick it the distance, but he, he was wind-assisted, and they worked it out, and so... After about 20, 25 minutes, I watched this wind and a couple of times. And then he kicked one, and um, it bounced near the halfway line, and it just, you know, went on about 15 yards or so. And I'd, I'd watched him a couple of times in the opposition goal, and I knew he, because it was windy, he was ready to come out to pick up the ball if it ran through to him. And it just happened to sit up perfectly. <laughs> and as it was dropping... I just knew I could hook it and he'd be on the edge of the penalty area and I just caught it so sweet and from the minute I left my foot he's in trouble and uh, <laughs> and it went and he you know you see the goalkeeper sometimes they suddenly he starts to take a couple of strides back and he said oh no and uh, he had no chance from the minute he left my foot and uh, of course I quietly turned around as the ball zipped into the back of the net and all my teammates went loopy but I was so chuffed <laughs> and I could sit here and say that was one of the best goals of my life not because it was a Sunday board, but I just knew you couldn't have hit it any sweeter yeah. and, and it was just so satisfying so for a few days I, I, I sort of wallowed in reminding myself about that for a few but as I say it's like anything if you do something that you know was special. Yeah. It didn't matter where it is, and um, so that was that was great. They were Havering Nalgo, believe it or not, was our team. Uh, yeah, they they were, they wore claret and blue. But uh, sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But uh, I did get one concession because um, they took it in cycles to take the washing home, and uh, <laughs> Mrs. B. When I say. She wouldn't be happy in bringing that home. I said, I'm not sure that you'd get any decent kit back the following week because she's not ex her expertise in the washing states wasn't great. I can say that as she's not here, but um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they let me off the washing. Uh, okay, so the next question is from Barry. Yeah, as we're all a similar age, how have you coped with getting older, especially being unable to be as fit as you used to be? Uh, physically and possibly mentally? Yeah, I think um, you... I mean, the two main challenges, obviously, I think the first thing is to try and keep as fit as you can within reason from the point of view that I think physical fitness is, is important. It makes you feel better. 
Um, so what do I do? I, I still go to the gym, believe it or not. I got a um, one of my perks from uh, being sports council chairman of the Eastern Region. Uh, one of the first um, sports centres we got a grant for was my local one. Um, they needed one, not because I was chairman, of course. And um, so it was at uh, the Brentwood Centre. If anyone knows the Brentwood Centre, yeah. it's a nice... Uh, so uh, I opened it up, and that was about my first or second year of being um, the chairman of the Eastern Region, whatever. And, uh, and they gave me honorary membership, uh, probably never thinking that I'd utilise it. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so here we are 25, 30 years later. I still use it. But... Um, so I go down there now. Obviously, what I do now has changed a bit. I, I walk um, quite a brisk pace, but for um, about 10 minutes doing that. And then I, I, I do jog. Um, and, um, and then I, after that, I used to do the uh, bike, but then I, I'll tell you about my knees. And um, so I now do a cross trainer, which is really good. Uh, and yeah, So I, I do best part of an hour which is quite good and um and then i come home i have to admit um i do sit-ups but um i don't do the sit-ups at the gym primarily because i'm not quite sure at the gym how i'd get up because uh, <laughs> anyone who's done sit-ups when you got your knees and stuff so i get on the floor i do me i do good 200 sit-ups i did 20 yeah, 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 10 lots of 20. And um, so I do my sit-ups, finish that, and then in my lounge where I'm doing it, I have to backtrack and get up on the old foot sort of set-y type thing, you know, the thing, and um, sit up on there, push back on that, get back onto the armchair, and then I can just stand up from there. I would, I would struggle to, to get up off the floor without using some sort of assistance on that. So rather than have that embarrassment at the gym, I do that at home. <laughs> uh, so, so that's good. I, I, I don't do it so much in the summer. I do it a couple of times a week in the winter. Um, and um, as I say, uh, yeah, watch the weight. Uh, so I keep an eye on that. And they, they've got their, their weight machine there and whatever. But um, yeah, more, more than anything, it's just trying to be active. In the summer months now, I would do my golf. Um, I will always. I've got my electric trolley, but I, I won't buggy, and so I'll always walk. And um, my golf is okay, 17 handicap, but it does mean you zigzag across the course now and again. And so that you walk, uh, you know, good, good exercise up and down the hills and whatever. So um, you keep ticking that along. But certainly, um, knee-wise, uh, when I was at the FA, I was dragging my left leg quite a lot walking, and um, so took a risk and went to a, a, a doctor who was an Arsenal fan that's worrying uh, but um, he made a good job of the first one so um, about 14 years ago I had the left one done then when I retired about four or five years ago but the right was dragging it and um, so I came back to him and he, he had a younger fellow by then who helped him because um, he he didn't do a lot of them himself but he still supported Arsenal and um, and so I had that one done I had, um, they call them titanium, so you have a titanium type thing, which is a really good quality one. The big thing, and he told me that the first one, is you've got to do your exercise. So if you ever decide to have that or a hip or whatever, 
don't do it and then think you're going to be great you got to do it. so they get you up two or three days after the op uh, even before I'd had my stitches out and um, they got you walking around and, that. and then once you get your stitches out I strode around Shenfield and, whatever. And, and within six weeks I played golf um, yeah. and I did it both times um, so I would always recommend it uh, the only minus is going through the airport scanner where you get <laughs> set the alarms off to, now both of them uh, but um, you know it, it, it made a big difference so from a fitness and health point of view it's um, I'm, I'm not too bad um, but obviously just you know you, you, you sit down in the car <laughs> you have a two hour drive or something somewhere you get out of the car in stages don't you rather than just hop out as, it, as you used to so you just accept it and um, but you know as long as yeah I'm, as I say what six months into being well no, I'll be 71 in October so really it's just a case of um, trying to do things um, w- which you're able to do, not be silly and try and do things leaping around all over the place as if you're, you're fitter or younger than you are. But I'd like to think, you know, I'm doing quite well at this stage because I've made my goal to do things, go out, and, not, and, and at the moment, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are, are not as lucky. We go, I'm sadly, we go to the funerals of people who you know had played in of our counterparts, and um, so we understand it's you know you can't take anything for granted. But at the moment, um, you know, people are living uh, that long, much longer, and um, so yeah, I'm able to do the things I want to do at this age. uh, But you got to be sensible, yeah. Right. So we've got one more question. Got time for one more. That's Howard. Um. I'm slightly younger than you, Trevor, but only slightly. <laughs> and I'm coming to the end of my three score on ten. So what advice do you have for a 70-year-old? A uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird as you go through each milestone, isn't it, really? I mean, 40 in my day was, oh, if you get over 40, you've got to start worrying. And the big 5-0, and then 60, and a retirement type thing because you know in in work these days you're encouraged at stage sometime to retire that bit earlier and then you know some of the um the jobs you're in and and then you know to the police as well you know you can finish at different times um and you have a long period then of of retirement and so it's i think the important thing i mean i i packed up the uh, sort of fa end of 214 really so um four and a half years now it's flown by quite a lot, really. Um, but doing things is important. I'm, I'm lucky that my wife Hilke's still either there, um, although she was quite relieved I was coming out this afternoon here. <laughs> as, as I'm sure we all are, when suddenly we turn up home a bit more frequently than we used to. Um, so, so I do different things, do, still do a bit of promotional work, um, yeah, more than anything, it's the activity. I, I always, as I say, got me electric but, uh, trolley, but always would walk, get the exercise. Um, when I get back in my car, then get home. As I say, I have to get out in stages because you, you're obviously got stiff as a result. But it's good. I still go down the gym in the winter months because obviously you're not playing golf as much during the winter. So 
that would be when I would go down to um, Brentwood Centre a little bit, an extra one a week, perhaps, just to keep ticking over. But I think more than that, to be doing things, keep active if you can. Um, you know, if I go to all the West Ham games at home, go to a few of the away games, go up to St George's Park now and again to watch one or two of the younger age groups, go to all the England games. Yeah, so you keep your contacts with everyone and I'm still very lucky they invite us all and you know they, they're always happy to see us but I think get out and about if you can it's easy to sit here and say if you're not well you can't and my wife struggles with the back at the time but um, you know we, we, we do as much as we can together and um, it's just to keep yourself active and to keep you know the brain sharp yeah obviously the dementia Alzheimer's thing is a challenge but I think my wife gives me a lot of stick because I got my Sudugo. I like my Sudugo. Oh, you're not doing your Sudugo. <laughs> so, so that I said it keeps my brain sharp. I always got a book on the go. I've got my book. Oh no, you've got a book. She doesn't read. She doesn't. She doesn't so that's two minuses to start with. So, but she likes to be active and doing things. But I, I, that's my relaxation. Those two, and I just think. To keep your brain active is important. Um, and touch wood at the moment, you know, you can you meet somebody and say, talk away, and then you're trying to talk about a couple of people. Yeah, initially, you might not have all the names come immediately, but then afterwards, and I'm driving, and yeah, oh, yeah, so, and so. You, you, you can, but to sit here and say, yeah, I can remember everything like I did 20 years ago is wrong. But I like to think, I'm okay, I'm, and I do, and people, and so I've got all those things there, and they do eventually surface. And but, yeah, it's something that you have to accept. And um, but more than anything, you know, I'm lucky, you know, still to be a look at you know, Justin Edinburgh. I don't know if you're football. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, manager of Orient '49, and and there we are. You know, some, so so, yeah, it's easy to moan about something but I think we're very lucky still to be sitting here because we, we know a lot of friends, colleagues and people who would like to be here who aren't so um, that's I think the other thing that I might say drives you on but encourages you to do those things because at the moment you think all those things you're doing is helping and um, the time when you can't do them you'll find out whether they weren't or what but while you can do them the fact you got to 70 and you're approaching somebody, keep doing the things that you're able to do um, because it must be helping to a certain extent for you to be thinking about getting to 70. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Trevor. Um, I'm sure that there was lots more questions, and we did have a lot more questions, but we could only choose so many. I think we'll all agree that we've had a very entertaining afternoon. Hopefully kept the brain cells going, so we'll be all right. You have been listening to the Any Old Irons podcast with Sir Trevor Brooking. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to look out for our next episode. I'm Trevor, we